Hey, Sarah Beth. Hey, Carrie. What's the worst thing in the world? Running out of chocolate. Uh, okay, what's the second worst thing in the world? Oh, running out of sweet romance books. That's right. Welcome to the Sweet Romance Podcast. I'm Carrie Monet. And I'm Sarah Beth Schneider. We are here to bring you the best of clean and wholesome romance so you never run out of great books to read. Can't help you with the chocolate, though. Welcome back, listeners. We are solidly in February now, and I have to say, all the emphasis on love this time of year does make it extra fun to dive into sweet romance. Agreed. I was never really into Valentine's Day until I had kids. I know it can be a difficult holiday for some people, but I love how it shifted to be a celebration of not just romantic love, but friendship. Yes, I agree. It is so much fun to have an excuse to celebrate friends, kids, the wonderful people in our lives. Not to mention sweet romance in general. Not that we need an excuse to celebrate sweet romance, but February definitely makes it a little extra fun. And today we interview Casey Stockton, who has contributed so much to the genre. She has written over 30 books in a short span of time with a mix of Regency and contemporary works. We talked about her work, the British Isles, and how books shape our understanding of the past. I loved our conversation so much, and I think you will too. Happy listening! Hopefully, you're familiar with today's guest, Casey Stockton. She has written a variety of books in both historical and contemporary romance genres. You will be sucked into her historical romances. They are like immersive experiences. I actually texted Carrie today to make sure she wasn't wasting away of consumption after I was reading <laughs> one of Casey's books. So, uh, but And her contemporary romances are so engaging and, and thought-provoking, but also really fun. Casey, we are so glad you could join us today. Tell us a little bit about yourself. What is something that might surprise your readers to know about you? Um, I don't know if there's anything surprising. Um, I'm not super romantic in my real life. Maybe <laughs> it's my husband who's the romance like the romantic in our relationship. He oh, always has it. been. And I love romance. I love reading and watching it. But in my real life, I'm like, oh, stop. <laughs> I think you best, just, though. you get it all out in the books. If it wasn't for the books, you'd see more of it in your, probably, you'd yeah, see more of it maybe. in your, yeah. I think it's just too cheesy for me. I'm like, yes. okay, let's be real now. <laughs> I love that. I relate to that for sure. <laughs> My husband's always like, come on, let's, you know, you can flirt a little more. And I'm like, no, yeah, it's too much. <laughs> uh, so um, your second Arcadia Creek book is out. Um, so I think this is your 31st published book. Is that right? Um, yeah, 32nd, I think, 32nd. actually. Oh, my goodness. That is amazing. Congratulations. That's incredible. Thank you. And all of your books, did you start publishing in 2019? I was trying to track down like the earliest book I could find. I did. Yeah. My first book was April 2019. That is insane. Holy How cow. have you written 32 books and published them since 2019? 
Um, it is an addiction, I guess. It's like a, I mean, it is my full-time job, so I get to devote a lot of time to it. That helps a lot. And my husband got to be a stay-at-home dad for a year and a half of that. So I really devoted a lot of time to it in that period, which was kind of nice. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the stories just won't leave me alone till I write them down. That's kind of how it's always been. Mm. What made you start writing? It was actually uh, kind of therapy. I called it my therapy for a long time. I've always really been very creative in just a lot of different ways, and I've always liked writing. I think I wrote my first book in middle school. Um, but when I was, it was like 2014 that I was like going through a really hard thing, and I kind of needed to like, I needed escapism on a different level because reading is escapism, I think. Mm-hmm. And I sat down and I was just like, you know, my friend had always been telling me I should try to write a book. And I thought, I'm just going to try it. And I sat down and I wrote the first draft in like two weeks and <gasps> it was awful. It was such an awful book, but it kind <laughs> of like unlocked this thing in me that was like, oh, I can do that. I can finish writing a story. Mm -hmm. So that's sort of how it got started. I want to know about that book you wrote in middle school. What was that like? Oh, gosh. It was like a love triangle with identical (laughs) twin sisters. Oh, Oh, my gosh. Classics. I know. I tell you, I loved romance from the beginning. But I I love it. That's awesome. Okay, so getting back to Arcadia Creek. First things first, will we see more of Jack and Lauren in this newest book, Falling in Line? Oh yeah, definitely. They're in, they're in it quite a lot because Jack is Tucker's roommate, and yes, you know, Lauren loves to be helpful. I'll say that. So, <laughs> <laughs> yes, I loved her character. I related so much. Not as hardcore spreadsheets, but super Type A here. So I was like, yes, I am tracking with her and all of these things. So I'm glad that I get to see more of them. So, what should readers anticipate in this book? Um, it's really kind of like. I've always, I've done a few second chance romances, but I kind of wanted to write one where there had to be a lot of work. This book is kind of, I think the payout is going to feel really rewarding because of how long Mm. it takes in the book for them to like come together. Yeah. That feels realistic and I like that. Yeah. I also have to ask, my husband is from a tiny town in Texas, so it made me wonder is Arcadia Creek based on a real small town or what inspired it? Um, that's fun. No, I live in Texas. So I, and we do a lot of road trips. And so we've driven through a lot of the state and I didn't grow up here, but I really love Texas culture a lot. Mm-hmm. And so it was kind of like, I'm setting a series here because it's fun and I can share things about Texas that mm-hmm. people don't necessarily know if they don't live here and that's kind of how it, but it's, it's not based on like a specific town it's more all of my experiences being here mm-hmm. have I the people that. around you started getting paranoid when you start writing things mm-hmm. down in the middle of a conversation <laughs> no but i do warn everyone that's <laughs> in the book <laughs> or like i'll ask permission if it's super specific you uh-huh. know a lot uh, of this book actually is based on my dad and my brother who are electric linemen. So cool. um, that's Tucker's job and it plays a large role in the story. So 
I've had to ask permission to use things, you know, from real oh, people. That's so cool. That's awesome. I also loved, I like you in the first book, you made that you talked about uh, Texas sheet cake and Lauren's like, no, this is a brownie. And they're like, don't say that. That's actually cake. I mean, it was, it was such a good glimpse of Texas culture. I really loved that. Oh, good. So you write both contemporary romances and historical. What do you love about historical romance? Oh, I love everything. It, it's like comfort food for my soul. Um, it's just like, it's so magical. I've, in both my Scottish historicals and my Regencies, I feel like it's it's their whole, what is the word, culture maybe, has like mm. agreed on to keep these same rules. And mm. there's something kind of about that that creates, it's kind of like a small town feel, but it can, you know, it's in the entire country or London or wherever yeah. you're setting your book. And it's just, there's something very cozy about that, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and the, I mean, the escapism again, right? Like, wouldn't we all love to put on a beautiful dress every day and go pick flowers, right? <laughs> oh, I know. And have someone wait on you and yes. eat your food and do your laundry. Yes. And have, and have a guy who's like, you look a little faint. Shall I escort <laughs> you to the porch? I'm just like, absolutely. <laughs> Heck yes. Let me pour you another glass of tea or cup right? of tea. <laughs> right. That's so funny. No, I love that. And I know you visited the UK a couple of times. So tell us what that is like to visit and how it influences your writing. Yeah, it is. It is magical over there. It's just as beautiful as it looks. And I did write most of my regencies before I had ever even visited. And so I spent a lot of time watching drone footage or just like YouTube videos to really, or, you know, period dramas to get a mm-hmm. really good feel for how it would look. But mm. something about being there, like really immersing myself in it, I think made it easier to describe once I got home. Mm-hmm. And it was things like when we were in Scotland and how like soggy the ground was, it felt like mm-hmm. walking on sponge, you know? Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. And it was things like that, that you don't get from a video. So I think it, it helped my writing a lot going and visiting it. Mm-hmm. A whole different planet from Texas. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> so um, what is, if you had to pick the number one places our listeners should go, if they ever find themselves wandering the British Isles? Oh man. Um, well, London has so much culture. I love London, but I probably loved uh, Edinburgh more. Mm-hmm. I would say it's just like the whole city is so gothic and moody and it's just like a vibe. Yeah. Um, but then I think my, and the Isle of Skye, I would not discount the Isle of Skye. It was the same, just moody and beautiful. And there are actual Highland cows all over the place. Like we got to pull over and just pet them. Oh wow. my goodness. That was kind of fun. So if you're into that, definitely put that on your list, but um, I think for me, my absolute favorite part of England is all of the um, small towns. Like when you're driving through all of the, like there's these hills and it's just so gorgeous. Like what you would see when you're standing at Pemberley and looking out, mm-hmm. like that's still there. It isn't all built up. And so I would say Bakewell or York 
or even this okay everywhere just visit all of it just everywhere the whole (laughs) thing I am going to have to put that on my list. That sounds incredible. It, there are not a lot of places with that kind of history that also are still very small. Like the, the small towns, that sounds enormously appealing because you really can imagine yourself in one of those books. Oh, yeah, entirely. You'd have to make sure you had your long gown on as you're wandering. Right. <laughs> make right. it the real feel. <laughs> put a basket on your elbow. Yes, yes, exactly. So what is it like to shift from writing historical to contemporary romance? How do you kind of navigate that difference? It can be really tricky, actually, because I'll find a lot of modern words sneaking in or a lot (laughs) of Regency words sneaking in, depending on what I'm writing. So I try to, like, like if I'm jumping into a Regency, I'll listen to, um, like, Sense and Sensibility, an audiobook or something, and, like, get it into my head. Mm -hmm. So. Or I'll do the same with like a contemporary that I've written. So it's my own voice. Um, I try to be really careful about not listening or reading books in the same genre by other authors when I'm writing them. Cause I don't want it to influence me mm-hmm. at all, but, yeah. but I still have to like you. So I try to use books basically to get myself into the right frame of mind. Yeah. Yeah. Do you ever find yourself? I know that when I'm writing on Google docs, it keeps telling me I'm spelling things in the in the British way. They're like, do you want to switch to British English? Because you keep having these British spellings. I'm like, no, I probably should stay. I probably should get my brain American as much as I can. Born and raised American. I, I think I just read too much. No such thing, I think. <laughs> I don't do the British spelling, so I don't really have that happen. I usually use American. Well, thank goodness for Google. That's all I have to say. (laughs) So what have you found in common between your characters in each genre? There's a lot of personality things that will be similar, or I can use the same situations and like regency-ify them for my historicals. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. there's definitely been similarities because my brain will get like stuck in an idea and then I want to do it both ways. And then it's kind of fun to see like, how can I do this in a rom-com versus how can I do this in a Regency? And, mm-hmm. and then the stories end up totally different because they're just different genres. Yeah, that's so cool. And I think it speaks a lot to the fact that, you know, it doesn't really matter the time period. People are still people, right? Culture is very different and, and certainly shapes real people and characters, but you can still see those same, you know, kind of core questions or problems come up, no matter if it's a historical romance or a contemporary one. Oh, yeah, exactly. And I think it's, that's such a good reminder too when we're reading or writing, because we get really hung up on those rules, those like society rules and things Mm -hmm. they have. But I think sometimes we forget they're still people, like they still would like sneak a kiss with a cute guy or you know they still had hormones or you know like it's like that I don't know if you guys have heard that analogy about historians in 200 years looking back on our culture and seeing um what are they called the speed limit signs Uh and just being like wow everybody went 65 on the freeway and we all know nobody goes 65 on the freeway but (laughs) in 200 years will they think that about our culture you know so a lot of what the Regency 
genre has kind of created to be these cultural rules and things were really created by the Regency genre, like by mm-hmm. authors. And we kind of perpetuate them a little bit. So mm-hmm. yeah. I think I'm going off on a tangent, but no, that's good. Made me think. Of- <laughs> well, no, it does that. make you wonder like how art codifies unspoken cultural rules in a way, you know, I mean, Mm -hmm. certainly those things were there, maybe not so obvious until authors in that current time were writing about it. Um, But I really, that's so interesting to to think about. Yeah, totally. It's like the marriage of conveniences. I don't think every time they (laughs) were caught kissing, they (laughs) had to get married, but you know, you can make it happen with good enough reasons and it did happen. People did have good enough reasons. So mm-hmm. it's just, it's interesting. Yeah. It, it makes you cool. wonder what people in that time period would think about even, you know, and, and they all read Jane Austen, but what about like you or another person writing in retrospect, 200 years? Like, what would they think when they read it? Would they think, you know, like, Oh yeah. I, I no, identify we're not, with it. You know, yeah. Or they would be like, wow, this thing that's going on in our society in our society is pretty messed up. You know, like if they would see it from our point yeah. of view, they'd be like, I'm not going to be like, I don't know if they would say, you know, I wish I had the, the courage to stand up to the societal norm. Mm. Yeah. I wonder it's interesting because my next Regency that comes out in March is kind of like the other side of that coin a little bit. Like the main character's sister has done something to bring dishonor on their name. And so it's kind of like what happens to the family after that. Because mm. every story we're trying to avoid it, you know? Yeah. And mm-hmm. so I kind of thought, well, let's like shine a light on the family and what they endured when they weren't able to avoid it. It's kind well, of that's going on my list. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That sounds amazing. Okay. It's taken research to figure out too, uh-huh. you know? That sounds fascinating. Okay, I can't wait to read that. Um, well, I recently read Love on Deck, so it's kind of top top of mind. But one thing I really loved about it um, is how both Lauren and Jack developed as characters. You know, the book kind of starts, and you see Lauren's really obvious flaws, like how uptight she is. And Jack is this guy who can really teach her to lighten up. And sure, he might be annoying because he's so whatever. But by the end of the book, not to give any spoilers, but Lauren's growth has inspired Jack to grow, to be bold and take a leap of faith. So, you know, I, I loved seeing that, um, how, how their relationship inspired both of them to grow. So why is it so important for messages like that to be present in books that we read? I think it's because we need to send the message that, well, I mean, first off, we all have ways we can improve, but um, we definitely shouldn't just expect one person to change. I think mm-hmm. I think it's important for us to grow together. And I think women, especially girls who are reading these romance books, they mm-hmm. need to see really healthy examples of men who are willing to work on mm-hmm. themselves and on their relationships and mm-hmm. not teach these girls that they need to change or that they need to mold themselves into whatever their Mm -hmm. partner's expecting, you know, or what they think Mm -hmm. society expects of them with social media and everything that's influencing girls today. Mm -hmm. I also think it's good to be reminded that like there is not this perfect guy, you know, it doesn't matter how great your quote unquote book boyfriend is like 
in a real relationship, you are both going to need to grow and change, right? Like it's not just going to be in a healthy way to put that caveat there, but it's, it's not, no one can ever read anyone else's mind, right? So you're always growing and developing. So I really loved that picture. Um, It wasn't just this instantaneous, perfect, quote unquote, romance, but um, it, it, you truly saw them develop. And I think like to your point, it's really kind of putting in that reminder of if you're waiting for, or you're expecting this perfection of what you think it should be, that might not always be the reality. Right. Totally. And I think too, that we should be with somebody who brings out the best in us and Mm -hmm. who we know are bringing out the best in them too. Kind of it's a different note. What do you love about the sweet romance community? Oh, they're like the authors or the readers. I mean, probably both. Yeah, both. Well, the community is so fun. Like, I think we all just really get each other, you know? It's fun mm-hmm. when you are with so many like-minded people. And um, the, I don't know, I just really love it. I love connecting with people who really love and appreciate sweet, clean romance the way that I do. Mm-hmm. And the authors are incredible. I think we have such a good, strong support system with each other. Yeah. It's just such a great place to be. How would you like to see the sweet romance community grow? Well, it would be great if it just kept growing because mm-hmm. I don't know. I think that there's so many books that have um, just not sweet. How do you say that? Spicier content or things mm-hmm. that and not everybody wants to read those. I know so many people who are reading all of those books, but they're skipping pages or, mm-hmm. you know, things. And so I think it's great that we can provide something. I think that there's definitely a space in the market for it and people who want it. Mm-hmm. Well, so what sweet romance book should we read after yours? Well, I get to read a lot of Martha Key's books because we're critique partners and they're fabulous. And for all three of my genres, she has books to satisfy you. So I would recommend her. Um, I get to be in a lot of, <clears throat> sorry, multi-author projects and work closely with those authors. So I get to read a lot of their books too. Um, like Mindy Strunk and Esther Hatch and Annika Walker. And um, I don't know if you guys read our Christmas Escape theories from last year, but Deborah Hathaway and Jess mm-hmm. Heileman and Cindy Steele and Courtney Kiesel and um, Gracie Ruth Mitchell all collaborated on that. And mm-hmm. they're all fantastic. I mean, all of their books are fantastic, not just the ones in those series. I can oh think go on forever. I mean, forever. <laughs> there are so many clean romance authors and their books are all so good. Well, we are taking notes. I've only read a few of those authors before, so that's amazing. Yeah, I love that. It has been such a pleasure to talk with you, Casey. Thank you so much for joining us. And um, listeners, we want to encourage you to grab Casey's newest book, Falling in Line, and enjoy a visit to Arcadia Creek. Thank you for having me. Casey is so impressive. Seriously, I don't know how she writes so quickly and flips between Regency and Contemporary. I loved our conversation about how art codifies social norms. It has really made me think about the books I read and what I'm writing. 
Yes. While there are definitely books that strive to be accurate and believable, so many stories use an out-of-the-box situation. Will people 100 years from now think those situations happened every day? Will they assume that in the 2020s, every pair of enemies fell in love? Or that small towns are the only place to meet your soulmate? Certainly these tropes seem like fun ways to find love. But one thing we love about Sweet Romance is that there is a kernel of truth in each story. Even just the reality of self-discovery that comes with falling in love. And that is definitely worth celebrating. I really do love watching characters grow and develop, even as they open themselves to love. And that's exactly what happens next week in the book we're reviewing. If you haven't read The Do-Over by Bethany Turner, start reading now. If you have read it, give it a reread, because next week we are discussing it on the podcast. We are huge Bethany Turner fans, and we know you will be too. Until next time, happy reading. Thanks for joining us on the Sweet Romance Podcast. Here's a shameless plug for my own sweet romance at carriemonet.com. Right now, you can get the audio edition of The Do's and Don'ts of Dating a Doppelganger for just $5. Yes, go read it. I might be biased because I edited it, but it's practically perfect. Get your own sweet romance polished to perfection by contacting Sarah Beth at sbediting.com. And come find us on Instagram for bonus content and more book recommendations. Now you can get back to reading. And so can we.